Kia ora and welcome to Jules from NZ, a weekly podcast chocker with all things Aotearoa New Zealand and some about me, Jules. Cheer. Hey Jules, this is Brooke from the Restricted Section podcast and I'm here in beautiful Richmond, Virginia and this is in regards to no particular episode but I've been listening to quite a few of your episodes and I've been doing a lot of quarantine baking, as a lot of people have. And so it inspired me to make Anzac biscuits. Um, I love Anzac bickies. I've been making lots of tea and I am eating one in your honor. Thanks so much for keeping us up to date on all the great things about New Zealand. Uh, Love the podcast and I hope you're well. Hey, Jules, I had to call back because I realized I didn't properly contextualize how hard it is to make Anzac biscuits in America. So that sounds silly. Biscuits are the same no matter what, except that golden syrup, also prominently featured in Hokey Pokey, doesn't exist in the U.S. It is not a product that grocery stores carry. I had to do research to find a grocery store that carried golden syrup. Sometimes you can find it in an international food section, but it's very, very rare. The closest we have is perhaps molasses, but it's not quite the same and doesn't produce the same results. So there you go. Kia ora, tēnā katoa. Hello, and welcome back to all of you to Jules from NZ. You may have noticed that it was not my voice that started this episode. How strange. It seemed only fitting as those call-ins generated the content for today's show. Brooke actually stayed with me while she visited New Zealand a while ago, quite a while ago now, and got to experience and fall in love with a lot of the unique food that you can get here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, all the time. When she called me with these messages, I was actually really shocked and surprised that my beloved golden syrup, which I pour all over everything from pancakes to ice cream, wasn't readily available elsewhere. So I just knew I needed to delve into this crazy mystery. And so today, you and I are both learning about the sweet liquid gold that is golden syrup. Treasures from the vault. Okay, so let's start with stating clearly for all of you British listeners that are ready to go to war with me right now, golden syrup is not a New Zealand invention. Nope, that honour is absolutely English and I'm not debating that today. In 1863, Abraham Lyle was thinking deeply about the syrupy byproduct of sugar refining, which was usually sold off cheaply as pig food. He was pretty sure that with some work, it could be adapted for delicious human consumption instead. The resulting product was similar to honey, but with a more malty taste. In fact, a small interesting fact is that particular product, Lyle's Golden Syrup, actually has a Guinness World Record for the world's oldest branding and packaging. It is packaged in a metal tin with a lid you have to lever open, very similar to the one here in New Zealand actually, but its logo displays a rotting corpse of a lion surrounded by a swarm of bees with the words out of the strong came sweetness. That might be a weird thing to have on the side, of a uh, a tin of something that is supposed to go on sweet things and you would usually kind of put with your scones uh, and tea. Uh, 
Mm, uh, just a casual corpse of a lion, but uh, it's actually a reference to a biblical story in the book of Judges where Samson saw this on his travels and used it for a riddle later. Look at me, quoting the Bible, apparently. Lyle was deeply religious, and it's suggested that he referred to the Lyle brand as the strong, holding the sweet within as a nod to that story. But anyway, I'm way off track now. Back to to Aotearoa, New Zealand. As you know, we're pretty British in a lot of ways here, uh, especially the way that we started. And the settlers brought their love of this sweet spread with them when they came. And in order to talk to you about golden syrup, I need to start by talking about the ingredient that started it all, sugar. Now, sugar products were all imported to Aotearoa through most of the 19th century. In fact, in 1882, the government actually offered a bounty to the first company to produce sugar locally. The Australian Colonial Sugar Refining Company jumped at that, purchased 106 acres of farmland in Birkenhead up in Auckland, and later expanded to 450 acres. It was ideal for a refinery, close to deep water for nearby port access, and fresh water from the Ducks Creek, and the timber for building was in pretty good supply. The site was named Chelsea by the refinery's first customs officer after his hometown, Chelsea, England. They bought, they built a wee model town with 35 cottages, gardens, a church, a reading room, a shop and a school. But after a few years, most were actually vacant due to dampness, uh, bad building. And then they were condemned. And they made a few brick houses on the same sites to house their core tradesmen that might be needed urgently. And for the rest of their workers, from then, Chelsea actually offered inexpensive housing loans, which financed over a third of Birkenhead's new houses between 1910 and 1926, mostly around the factory in Colonial Road, named after the original company, and Hooker Road, named after the Māori name for sugar. So, why did so many live close? Well, because for a long while, the only way to get there from the city was by ferry. So it just kind of made sense to live nearby instead. So why choose a site that has deep water access? Well, that's for the port. Um, you see, raw sugar was actually coming in from Fiji, Cuba, Australia, Indonesia, and Peru. And actually, even today, Chelsea Port continues to accept up to 30,000 tons of raw sugar per bulk carrier ship. The port remains private, but is obviously still subject to like customs and MAF regulations. The Chelsea Sugar Refinery was one of the largest complexes in New Zealand and one of the few refineries in the South Pacific, and it really helped establish Aotearoa as an economic force. As such, the early factory buildings, manager's house and brick houses are all Category 2 listings, and the whole site is recognised for its industrial heritage. Throughout its history, Chelsea has allowed the public open access to its significant grounds made of wetlands, lakes, open spaces and bush. To ensure that the parkland and access is actually maintained, it's become a public legacy. And the original factory actually makes up the logo of Chelsea Sugar. Slightly better than a lion's corpse, I think. But you know, maybe I'm biased. These days, Chelsea is run by the New Zealand Sugar Company, who in turn is owned by the Singapore-based Wilmar International and the Australian-based McKay Sugar. 
typical in New Zealand. We don't own our own stuff. Uh, it operates 24 hours a day, five days a week, and remains New Zealand's market leader in sugar products. Chelsea actually purchases bulk raw sugar globally still, uh, which is bought in by ship and processed and packaged at the refinery. Sales offices and warehouses around the country aid in the distribution of 200,000 tons of sugar a year, supplying both retail and manufacturing markets. About 20% of Chelsea's total production is exported, mainly to Australia and the Pacific. New Zealand has a deregulated economy, so it operates in a free market with no subsidies or input tariffs for sugar. Chelsea provide financial support and sponsorship for a variety of organizations and products within the local community, and they also provide funding for the Sugar Research Advisory Service, which is an independent organization undertaking and reviewing research into sugar, mainly like, should we eat so much? I mean, Jules's answer would be yes, uh, because she can't live without it. But, you know, everybody's got their opinions on that. Anyway, so that's Chelsea. And they make Chelsea Golden Syrup, which is the best thing ever on piping hot crumpets, dripping everywhere and making your fingers sticky. Or the best on pancakes with cream, making your eyes roll back in pure delight of the taste. Honestly, what could be better than that? But... Let's get back on task and talk a little about what golden syrup actually is in more detail before I start cooking pancakes and pouring golden syrup all over them because I'll get very distracted. And in fact, I've tried to record this episode twice and got distracted by eating golden syrup. So there we go. Uh, It looks like an amber-colored viscous liquid. It looks similar to liquid honey. Uh, Chelsea Golden Syrup is actually darker in color and richer in flavor than the UK version. So, nah, 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 you need to try ours. Uh, To begin with, as I mentioned earlier, Golden Syrup was made by the white sugar refineries from the recovered molasses that is washed off the raw sugar crystals to create the white sugar. That liquid is actually known as Refiner's Return Syrup. Now it's actually made at specialist manufacturers because it's awesome. So it gets its own situation. It's not just a byproduct of making sugar. They invert half of the Refiner's Return Syrup to fructose and glucose, and then they blend it back in again. This makes sure that the product remains liquid and will never like recrystallize. The golden syrup final product is actually specific to the refinery, which it is produced at. That means that the flavor and the color depends on the sugar and the process used, which vary widely. So can to can could be pretty different. How cool is that? When baking with it, it adds moisture, color, and caramel flavors. Ginger nuts, brandy snaps, caramel, hokey pokey, they're all examples of how it can be used to add that richness in flavor. Um, But what it might be known best for here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, is in the Anzac biscuit that started this whole podcast episode off. Adding golden syrup to sugar, flour, rolled oats, butter, baking soda, water, and sometimes desiccated coconut gives a long-lasting and satisfying biscuit that was sent to the boys in the trenches, meaning the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, or ANZAC for short, sent overseas in World War I. At least we 
think that's the case. It's certainly the legend behind them. It's speculated that it actually wasn't sent overseas, but instead eaten at home to raise funds for the war. But there is evidence for some kind of biscuit being sent overseas in World War I, which with the ingredients for Anzac biscuits not spoiling easy, does kind of make a whole lot of sense. So there you go. So there you have it. Golden syrup and Chelsea sugar. And before I get a whole lot of call-ins about how maple syrup is better than golden syrup, you're wrong. That's, that's all I have to say really. <laughs> News Nuggets. I want to talk to you about something important right now. It's about basic respect. It's about racism. Yep, I'm going there. Here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, the indigenous Māoris suffer their own kind of structural discrimination, similar to African Americans in the United States. This kind of discrimination is wide-reaching, intergenerational, and primarily disadvantages New Zealand's most vulnerable. It's the most insidious and destructive form of racism. We are aware that we created the problem and we have committed to eliminating the disadvantages faced by Māori and Pacifica in enjoying the economic, social and cultural rights that they deserve. That does not mean we have it right yet. We're learning all the time. We're fixing laws and undoing thinking that we have ingrained to ourselves, which is very wrong all the time. We're growing and changing, but we still have a way to go. We're listening and we're trying. Recently in New Zealand, in support of the movement in America, we had our own fights about statues to people that we probably shouldn't be celebrating. The Māori Party called for an inquiry into the colonial statues and monuments in the wake of the removal of statues overseas. In Auckland, Sir George Grey was painted red and the words stop and racist were pointed, painted on the podium. That we know of. We may have missed words by the time the council tried to clean it off. Grey, you may remember, was governor during the initial stages of the New Zealand wars where many Māori were killed and land was confiscated. I talked a bit about Grey in the Waitangi episode I did a while back. But it's actually not the first time that this statue has been targeted. In 1987, during a Waitangi protest, Grey lost his head. But it was actually replaced not long after. Perhaps it shouldn't have been. In Hamilton, uh, recently the city council removed a statue to Captain Hamilton after they were basically forewarned about an intent to remove it during an upcoming protest. He was a British Navy officer who led a regiment in the New Zealand wars. After a formal request from the local iwi, Waikato Tainui, uh, they agreed it wasn't right to have it celebrated in the square outside the council and removed it themselves. They've probably stored it away, but I think that's still a win. Here in Wellington, red scarves were placed as blindfolds on statues in a silent protest that wasn't vandalism, aimed at stimulating a conversation about our country's colonial heritage. 
a protest against colonialism and racism. Edward Gibbon Wakefield and William Wakefield were among the blindfolded. So what did they do to deserve this? Well, Edward and William are honoured as founding Wellington, but both were actually arrested for kidnapping 15-year-old Harris Ellen Turner and forcing her to marry Edward to fund his political ambitions in England before they set their sights on New Zealand. And when they got here, they also scammed the Māori of their land and then falsely sold it to the settlers. Not good guys, really. I should be clear, though, that we had already started this conversation years ago. It was just so slow-moving as we debated art and historical importance versus cultural offensiveness. In Gisborne, a statue of Captain James Cook, discoverer of New Zealand on the Endeavour, was erected in 1969 on Titirangi Hill, overlooking the spot where Māori and Pākehā first encountered each other and Cook's crew killed nine Māori in a misunderstanding. It was understandably vandalised often, and last year it was actually moved to a local museum, a change welcomed by all. There are many, many more statues and memorials around New Zealand with similar stories. And this is what I mean with that we're not there yet. We have a long way to go, but we do have one foot on the path and we do know where we're going. (sighs) You know, I hope we're going to get there. Watching what is happening in the States right now is heartbreaking. It seems like people are in charge have lost sight of the path completely. So many people are obviously feeling unheard and are trying to make themselves heard in the only ways that they know how. It is scary and it makes people feel angry and ashamed and I think it should. Change doesn't happen properly without really working for it. I'm not Māori. I'm what people call New Zealand European. I get things wrong sometimes, let's face it, I get things wrong all the time, but I'm trying to learn. And right now people speaking out in the States and here at home are teaching me a lot. I'm again embarrassed about what I don't know and what I have done in the past without even being aware. Honestly, it horrifies me to the point of tears, but I am listening and I am trying Because one more time, for the people in the back, black lives matter. My personal thanks for this episode to my gems, Scott, Lucas, Shao, Glenn, James, Jason, and my latest supporter, Barry, from the RPG podcast, Shadow of a GM, a podcast that does fantastic reviews of game systems in amongst all of the other uh, TTRPG um, material he covers. But I love these reviews because he does them from both the angle of why the, the system is the worst in the world and why the system is the best in the world. And both are really accurate and really funny. And I find myself nodding along and agreeing to both Um, sides of the reviews which is very confusing um you should definitely check it out if you're a game system fan um and in fact just if you like playing ttrpgs because he's got a lot of really interesting really well thought out stuff to say uh 
definitely check that out. So that's the podcast Shadow of a GM. Uh, thank you to all of my gems listed before. I literally could not do this without you. Um, and you keep me doing this even when it's challenging. Because uh, I really wanted to put out this episode this we- this last few weeks. But I've really struggled to decide how to say what I wanted to say. That I needed to say in this climate. So um, I hope I did okay. Anyway. Thanks again to Brooke from the Restricted Section podcast who started this whole episode off. Don't forget to go listen to that one if you're a Harry Potter book fan. Pity we have no idea who wrote that series of books. What a shame that it's completely anonymous. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, next episode is back to some RPG fun before I want to talk to you about Aotearoa again. I'm actually traveling to Queenstown next weekend for the first time ever. I know I haven't been to a city in New Zealand. I'm very excited. Um, And I'm going to tell you all about that very touristy New Zealand town when I get back. Um, If you follow me on Instagram, check out my Instagram for pics of the most picturesque place in Aotearoa, hopefully, if the weather cooperates. So please cross your fingers for me, okay? Uh, If you're enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your platform of choice. It all helps. I just got a sweet review from GM's Shadow and from Brit in Norway. Both of you were glowing about my wee podcast and it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So thanks for that, you absolutely stellar folks. Um, Again, as I mentioned before, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can even find me on YouTube if you feel like watching some random clips of me being a spaz um, and singing a lot. I sing a lot. Uh... They are all under Jules Bergeser, which is J-U-L-Z-B-U-R-G-I-S-S-E-R, not Ferguson, like the lady in the pharmacy said three times when I said B, and she said Ferguson, and I said B, and she said Ferguson, and I was like, Ferguson doesn't start with B. B, my name is B, (laughs) which was just a whole thing in the pharmacy when I'm just trying to get my eye drops intense. Anyway. Uh, that's enough from me tonight. Uh, Inohora, kakiteano, and I will see you again soon. Love you all. Mwah. Good night. <laughs>